welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Thanks, gang. Uh, hi, everybody. How you doing? Good, good. Welcome to summer. Uh, my name is Mike. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here. Um, I am super excited about this next piece. If you have not been around Awaken, we do this every now and again. Try to do it every other month or so. Uh, it's something we've called Artists in Residence. And uh, before I get into that, one note that uh, we forgot is the connection cards and offerings, those can go in the black boxes by the doors. So if you're looking for where those go, that's there. Um, so Artists in Residence, we do this every other month. And it's, um, it's more than a novelty, I think, for, for me and for us. This is something that's deeply rooted in how we understand uh, the scriptures and who we understand God to be. If, in fact, God is a creative essence, if God is at the very core of God's being, this creative force, and we're made in the image of this God, then the inside of every single person, whether you're an accountant or a painter, is a creative impulse. We create things. Um, so... Uh, we want to value that and say that that's a part of how we understand God and, and who God is. So I'm going to invite Mike Vangstad and uh, Joel Wilson and Peter Paul, if you guys want to make your way up here. Uh, if you're, there they are. They're all in the back. They're back real rowdies. So give them a round of applause as they make their way up. So um, guys, thank you for being here. Um, I'm going to ask them just a couple of questions, and, and, uh, and then I'm going to stop talking. We'll let them uh, share. But uh, if, if you made your way through the, the main entrance, you noticed we have uh, in the gallery space a whole lot of pottery. And these three guys are potters. And uh, I'll say a little bit more about um, their stuff afterwards. But if you guys would share um, what got you into pottery, what, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey, who you are, and what got you into pottery. And then what makes your process unique or your pots unique? Obviously, you're, you're, you all work with clay, but your product at the end is very different. So tell us a little bit about why it's different or, or what's unique about it. So, Mike, go for it. Well, my name's uh, Mike Bankstad, and currently I'm a full-time substitute teacher during the school year. And in the summers, I spend as much time as possible in the pottery studio. So that's a little bit about me. And then uh, I got into pottery my sophomore year of college at Bethel because I had to take an art credit, and I heard the professor <laughs> was pretty cool. So I took ceramics one basically off Pete's recommendation. And um, I just fell in love with the process of making pots and throwing on the wheel. And uh, since then, I've just been doing it as much as possible. So that's kind of why I do it and what makes my pottery unique. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough question. <laughs> um, I don't know. What I throw is pretty much just me trying to th make things that I really enjoy and I really like. And so my favorite aspect of throwing pots is the wheel and kind of the spinning motion of it so as much as possible, I try to put that motion in my finished products. And um, I use a lot of different clay bodies. So I don't What do you mean by that, clay bodies? What so does that mean? Clay bodies, when you throw a pot, you have your clay. And there's lots of different kinds of clay. So this one by my foot right here is a high iron stoneware. So it's kind of gritty, and the iron flex will show through. There's also porcelains and bee clays. It gets pretty technical. But... Uh, <laughs> I could go on for a long sure, time. Sure, sure, sure. We'll cut it short. There. Yeah, yeah. We've all, we've all gotten that look before, yeah. kind of that glazed over. Yeah. Yeah, no pun intended. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Good Man, one. That, that was good. Okay, okay back to you, Mike. There's actually no glaze on the outside no glaze. of most of my pots. Cool. And I do that just to kind of show what the clay actually looks like once it's fired. So that might be something that makes my pots unique. I'm not sure. Cool. Thanks, okay. Mike. That's pretty much it. Yeah. 
Hey, uh, I'm Joel Wilson. Um, I, what? No, I'm fine. Thank <laughs> you. Though. Uh, I started making pots uh, my freshman year of college. Uh, I, I was recommended to take a ceramics class from my sister who went to the same college that I did. And she told me, if you go to Bethel, you have to take ceramics. Yeah, who is this notorious teacher? Oh, his name's Kirk Freeman. Kirk Freeman. He's a real, a real gem of a man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, so, and you know, I kind of immediately fell in love. Of course, like, it's a pretty typical story. You take an intro ceramics class when you're in college, and you like fall you do. in love. And... Um, and then that's what you want to do, and you change your major, and you do that forever. <laughs> uh, but, so I've been making pots for like five years or so. Um, what makes my pots unique? Well, I mean, there's a, I think there's a number of things, but like the biggest thing is like I made them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I really... There you have it. I work in a... You know, my job, I, I work in a situation where there's a, there's a number of different people trying to make the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of drills it into me that even though we're all pretty much, pretty much making the same pot, um, you can kind of tell hmm. everyone has a slightly different way of making it and a way right. of doing it. And I, and, uh, I think for me the process of kind of growing in pottery. Uh, it's kind of been a journey of like getting to know my pots as kind of another, like an extension of myself. Um, as I kind of get to know myself more and more, mm -hmm. I'm like learning more and more about the work that I make and why I make it and hmm. what I want to make. And yeah, I don't know. So don't know somewhat self-reflective. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a, it's a thing that I do because I love it. And then... There's like a portion of making, and then there's a uh, period of like thinking and critiquing and like critical analysis mm -hmm. that goes into it to figure out like, okay, I did this. Why did I do that? Hmm. What what about that is interesting to me? I don't know. You said something about soda fire. Yeah. The tell say a little bit about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is again. This is one of those things where I feel like any of us could talk for hours about it. Basically, it's a firing method where uh, later on in the in the firing, we I introduce I spray in a mixture of baking soda and water into the kiln as the kiln is like billion know, 18, degrees, eighteen hundred degrees inside, and that the sodium in baking soda vaporizes and kind of when it comes in contact with clay, it creates it creates a glaze on the surface <laughs> of clay, so. Like Mike, a lot of my pots are, none of my pots are glazed on the exteriors of them when I load them into the kiln. And then I, I kind of use, I kind of look at the kiln um, and the soda firing process as kind of a creative partner in making the work. Like I kind of make it and then kind of hand it over to the kiln to decorate um, cool. in some ways. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Peter, how about you? Uh, my name's Peter Paul, and uh, <clears throat> I started in clay my freshman year of high school. 
So you, this is before the notorious freshman year college class. Right. Right, okay, okay. Right. I, yeah. I recommended it yeah. to Mike. I was there you already. Go. You know, I had a, a really great high school teacher as well as my great professor in college. Um, I took a clay class my freshman year and um, fell in love with clay. I really, love, I really love making things. I have my whole life. And then finding clay was just an outlet for that. Cool. Um, and the, the teacher did a great job of instilling and teaching me and um, just kind of awakening me to uh, the love of clay and showing me all of the, the tradition that's gone behind it and, and uh, the history that there is in it. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I've said that my high school teacher taught me what a good pot was and, and to love the tradition. And then when I got to mm-hmm. college, Kirk taught me how to make a good pot. Mm. Cool. Admittedly, in high school, I was pretty bad pot. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved to keep everything that I made. And yeah. As soon as it came out of the kiln, I would go, why did I make this? Yeah. <laughs> this is a piece of garbage. Yeah. But uh, no, so, it's, it's um, been a really interesting, um, I don't know, I guess I've been making pots for 10 years now. So what makes yours unique when you look at them in, in and in they're in a, you know, a gallery of others? Uh, well, I was going to say that I made them, but Joel yeah, right? said that as well. Um, and honestly, I think that's the biggest thing. I, I really love that I'm in a tradition and that making pots is one of the, the oldest things that yeah. people have done as a, yeah. as a race of humans. It's pretty um, cool. And there's a, a tradition in just about every culture of making pots, and I've tried to find where I fit in that and really accept that a lot of what I do, or almost all of what I do, has been done before, hmm. um, and really embrace that and try and live in that. So a lot of my pots reflect the tradition or reflect the past. Um, cool. And so what makes them unique, I guess, isn't much. Uh, and that's kind of the point, hmm. is to be um, humble in that and know that there are generations of people before you that have done this, and to... Um, be humble in that and know wow. that, you know, what you have to say is important, but it's not anything brand new. I think somebody else might have said that once. Nothing new under the sun. <laughs> um, so um, if you didn't know, these guys made our communion wear. So when you come up and receive communion next week, uh, these will be pots that they made. So I encourage you, when you leave today, um, please check out. Can they touch... Th- you know, Absolutely. things that are back there. Yeah, I'm assuming these are utilitarian, you know, craft here. So, you know, touch them, let them, hold them in your hand. And all of them are for sale, for purchase. Uh, we want to support artists in, in what they do. Um, so please uh, pay full price and more uh, if you would. Uh, I think cash this week and they'll have, they'll be able to take credit cards in the next couple weeks. So ask them questions, do anything. But let's uh, thank these guys for, for being here, if you could. Thanks, Thanks guys. Sit right there. Awesome. So I'll invite you just to a time of greeting. Uh, if you need a cup of coffee, feel free to uh, grab that. If you would, stand and uh, greet somebody near you, introduce yourself, and then Chris will be up in just a moment with teaching. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Kimston. I'm an intern here at Awaken, if we haven't met before. Uh, we're going to continue our series in the Beatitudes that we've been going through the last few weeks. And so if you are able, I'd invite you to stand as we read our very short verse for the day. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It is, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Don't blink or else you'll miss it. 
Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to study your word. God, we, we thank you for the opportunity to interact with you in a new way, God. And I pray that your spirit would be with us, that we may encounter you, God, in a powerful, real way. I pray as that we study mercy today, we would learn how to incorporate that into the whole of our being, God. And I thank you for my family, my friends. And for all of us here, in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Feel free to have a seat. I brought the biggest Bible I could find because it gives me more credibility. So, <laughs> in, case, uh, in case you're new to Awaken, we moved into this building just this last spring. And um, so, it's in a kind of... Uh, two-way type of series where we're in one way just studying the Beatitudes, but this is also allowing us to interact with our building in a way that we haven't gotten to before. It's an old Catholic space, um, and there's so many beautiful things, not least of which is the, are these beautiful windows, and um, in the main parts kind of here, there are three characters in each window, uh, most of them historical, and each one correlates to a specific Beatitude, and so we've been going through each one of the windows to kind of uh, talk about that. Now, my window uh, is a little bit different. Here it is. And uh, it's actually in that back corner way back there. You probably won't be able to see much of it, but um, I invite you to go look at that afterwards. And mine's really interesting, and it's a little bit different than all the other windows, because at the center of it is not a historical figure. It's actually a story. Now, it's a story that most of us are familiar with. We actually could probably get up here and tell it ourselves, but I would invite you to listen uh, to this story in a new way today, because just as we'll maybe have a little bit different reading of it than we've had, or maybe you've heard in the past, uh, we'll also investigate a new way to think about mercy. So, this story uh, starts as follows. I'll just read it for you, and we'll break a little bit of it down. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, a lot of uh, my translations said an expert in religious law. A lot of translations say lawyer. Um, Religious law is really what we're focusing on. Sometimes when we hear lawyer, we think of... like. federal law or state law, but this is, this is about religious law, specifically Jewish law. And this man asking Jesus these questions has been studying this law, these scriptures, and all of its intricacies his entire life. That's what he's done. Um, and so my point that I'm making is he's not asking Jesus a question he doesn't think he already knows the answer to. You see, Arguing and debating, especially in a public way like this, was a way for intellectuals, especially of religious law, to, to kind of show their status. Uh, experts in the law were pretty high in the social rankings back in the day because they were educated, they could read, they knew tons of things, and so one of the ways for them to feel very good about themselves and to show everybody how smart they were is they would find other notable teachers and they would argue about the law. Now. This guy um, had undoubtedly heard of Jesus' ability as a teacher and thought, I should go debate this guy. Lots of people follow him. This guy probably actually had some people following him, and they 
here they were. And so that's how this man is kind of trying to engage Jesus. Sometimes we read the story as he's asking, oh, son of God, you know, what do I need to do to live forever? But this guy, that's not this guy's intention at all. He would just, he just really wants this public kind of debate. And this thing happened all the time. And the funny thing is about it is that Jesus actually seems to go along with this at the beginning. Because, so this guy asks Jesus a question. Jesus kind of throws him a slow, slow one right over the middle of the plate and says, you know, what does the scripture say? And this guy gets the chance to name the right scripture, which is what you do in the circumstance. And he got to demonstrate just how smart he was. And so this is going very well for this guy so far. And uh, so he then steps up and goes into the next part of this debate where, so Jesus asked him a question. He responded by citing the right scripture. And so this guy is going to do the same for Jesus now. And that's actually what happens in the story. He says, the man uh, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because what they're doing is they're getting deeper and deeper into it to see who has the mastery of the scripture. And so he's expecting Jesus now to come back with his, with, well, according to this scripture, list it all from memory. And so, you know, we can all go away feeling, patting ourselves in the back and feeling good. Um, Jesus looks at the man and says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They were stripped, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. To which the uh, lawyer responded, what? (laughs) Because in case you couldn't tell, Jesus isn't playing this game anymore. This, we're we're done with it now. He's, uh, he has a different thing in mind. Jesus then says, um, he turns to him and he says, by chance a priest came alongside the road, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And a temple assistant, or sometimes translated as a Levite, similar type of thing, Levites helped out in the temple, walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Now, a lot of times when we hear this part of the story, we think that the original listeners would be saying, oh, isn't it terrible? Our priests and our, our, our temple assistants, they're the good guys. They're supposed to help him. But actually, the man Jesus is arguing with and the other people familiar with the law would have said, well, of course they passed him by. Of course they, of course they didn't help him. Because you see, helping this guy would have involved touching him. And touching a bloody naked guy laying in the dirt on the side of the road violates a ton of religious laws. And the priest wouldn't have been able to go about his day doing other very holy things. I'm not saying that they wouldn't have felt bad. I'm not saying that they, that they didn't want in some way to help or feel or pity this man, but To put it in modern terms, they would have looked at it and said, well, it's out of my hands, it's a real shame, and would have kept walking. And then Jesus puts another twist on the story and says, and then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. And I think Jesus' story at this point would have been in trouble a little bit because most of the people listening wouldn't have believed him because most of his audience would have been Jewish, if not all of them. And Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And we say that a lot about old people groups. And it wasn't just that they debated or feuded over land at some point. These people hated each other and it went blood deep. 
because Jews saw themselves as pure descendants in the line of Abraham, while Samaritans were people from the north country that married into other groups of people. And so Samaritans were literally hated on by the Jews uh, because of their race. And then because they were treated poorly, they treated the Jews poorly. So it's just one of those scenarios, that vicious cycle, they hated each other. So most people would have said, actually, that's not how it went, because this man dumped olive oil, wine, paid for him to stay in a hotel. He bandaged his, his, uh, his wounds, used his own donkey. This just wouldn't happen. And, and yet, that's the story that Jesus tells. And Jesus looks at the man and says, Now which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man? was attacked by bandits. Oh yeah, the guy probably was like, oh yeah, I asked the question. The man can't even say the word Samaritan, but in his ashamed response, we get our connection to our beatitude today. She looks at him and he says, the, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. In our series about the beatitudes, a lot of the work that we've done across the different weeks is redefine a lot of the words that we've been using for um, that, are, that are listed in these short little teachings. See, we've talked about, um, a couple weeks ago, Jenna talked about meekness, or we redefined hunger and thirst, and a lot of these things. And this is really important to do with mercy, because as I was preparing uh, to talk about mercy, I realized I actually myself didn't have a very good definition of what mercy is. Not that we don't desire mercy or do merciful acts, but if I were to ask you to find it, you might be hard-pressed to kind of nail it down. And so uh, Jenna talked a couple weeks ago with meekness about how it has to do with some sort of balance of power. Someone has authority over someone else. And I did what you're not supposed to do, and I Googled it. And uh, according to Google, um, the ultimate study tool, uh, mercy is a noun, is a compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is in one's power to punish or harm. It's just something to keep in mind. Now, on the, uh, on the window, if I could get back up there, there's, a, um, there's a, somebody on the lower left then, or lower right actually, is, um, there, I was, it was St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, and I thought, who is this weird guy in a hood? And looking, uh, looking it up, uh, St. Francis's firstborn name was Francesca, so she was born in 1850 in the Austrian Empire. She was one of 11 children uh, but only one of four in her family to survive childhood. She was actually born early by a few weeks, and back in 1850, that was a really big deal. Uh, the newborn care obviously was not as sophisticated as it is today, and her parents thought that she would, she, she would uh, be lost like some of her siblings, but she survived, but was so small and frail most of her life that when she wanted to dedicate herself as a nun um, to the church, she was actually turned down because the nuns in that area had a lot of physical labor attached to it, and she was told she wouldn't survive the lifestyle. This woman had a heart for people, and so she founded the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart. They, they, built, so many, they built so many orphanages, she taught at so many schools, started so many schools and hospitals that she got the attention of the Pope. She was able to eventually dedicate herself like she wanted to, to the church, and she got a meeting with the Pope, and she asked if she could travel east 
into, into the lands of Asia, and he famously said, go not east but west, because there was this newfangled country um, that had a lot of immigrants that needed help. So she traveled to Manhattan, uh, to New York City, and it's a very exotic place, and uh, she did so many good things. She started the St. Cabrini Home, which is a, an orphanage that's still open today. She founded, um, from people familiar with that area of the country, uh, she founded Columbus Hospital, which was eventually called the Cabrini Medical Center, which uh, was open as recently as 2008. Anybody familiar with Chicago, she moved to Chicago later in life. She lived in the United States for the rest of her life, and she, there's still a Cabrini Street in Chicago, and it's, it's named after her. And so some strange hooded guy is actually one of the most incredible women in our country's history. On the other side, then, we have uh, Father Damien, whom, in the vein of Prince, Usher, Madonna, and Beyonce, chooses to go by only one name. He <laughs> doesn't need more than one. He, uh, he volunteered his life to go to one of the most, at the time, one of the most notoriously dangerous, dark places on the earth. See, in the middle of the 1800s, leprosy broke out on the uh, island of Hawaii. The king at the time, there was a king in Hawaii who had a tremendously long name that I gave up instantly. I was like, I'm not going to say this. But he exiled all of them. There wasn't a lot of knowledge about how leprosy spread. And so he exiled all of them to live in their own colony. They were forced to work for their own food, provide their own resources. But in the advanced stages of a lot of these, a lot of, and at the advanced stages of leprosy, a lot of them weren't able to do that. So there was there was a lot of death, there was a lot of disease, there was a lot of crime, a lot of drugs that went around. And this man, Father Damien, who was from uh, Belgium, volunteered when he heard this to go be their priest on the other side of the planet. He lived with them the rest of his life. He was not only their priest, he was their carpenter, he was often their doctor, he was their teacher, and more importantly, he was their friend. They grew to revere this man. He actually only lived to the age of 49. He contracted leprosy himself. He died from the very disease he was trying to help. And even though he only lived to a relatively young age of 49 at the time, I mean relatively young back then, he's sainted in the Catholic, Anglican, and Episcopal traditions and is known by many as the martyr of charity. 49 years old. He even has his own feast day. So that's, that's how you know you've arrived. <laughs> now, I'm naming these things that people have done, and our specific focus has been that the Beatitudes are not a guidebook on how to be blessed by God. A lot of times they're, they're treated that way. This is not going to end in the top three ways we can all be more merciful Christians, because if that were the answer, it would have worked already, because it's happened. People do these things. And our actions are holy and wonderful, and we want to live lives of mercy. But we've, Micah invited us to uh, think of a couple of questions at the beginning of the series, and I'm going to continue that. The two questions are, what was Jesus saying at the time of the Beatitude? And then, what is Jesus saying now? And I think that they're linked, because what was Jesus saying then? He was looking at this man and telling him that the very legalism that caused him to stand up in front of many and boast and try to debate Jesus. That very legalism that put him at the top of the social standing was the very thing that would have killed the man on the side of the road. 
the lawyer could have easily, he could easily identify that the true neighbor, the true man of mercy, was the Samaritan, these people that he hated, while at the same time he had to acknowledge that he would have done the same thing as the first two guys. Now, I would invite you to think today that, that what Jesus is maybe saying to us now to answer the second question that living a life of mercy maybe isn't about what you're doing. It's not about the acts of mercy, but it's about who you are. We don't do acts of mercy so God will love us. It's not the formula. We might be led to such acts of mercy because we live from a place of God's mercy. Because you don't travel to a far-off new country to help immigrants and dedicate the rest of your life because you want to be sainted, because you want the recognition. You don't dedicate yourself to die alongside a discarded and sick, diseased people just because you want your own feast day. No, these people did these things because they were in their heart. They were living from a place of God's mercy. The Samaritan didn't help the man because he knew it was the right thing to do because in all honesty, by the law, it wasn't. Those first two men that passed the Samaritan were absolutely correct as far as the law was concerned. Should have let the guy die. But mercy, he was living from the place of mercy. We have mercy because we live a life given to us from the mercy of God. And maybe, maybe you're saying to me, Chris, you're a nice kid, but you don't, know my, you, you don't know my circumstance. See, I understand God loves me, and I've heard that from a thousand churches, but that I don't, if you knew my circumstance, you wouldn't tell me that. And, and I completely respect that, because it's hard. I can tell you from struggles that I've had, there are days where you do not feel mer- that you've been given a lot of, a lot of mercy, Some days, mercy is the one thing that you probably want a little bit more of, probably for some people most days, and maybe maybe you need to hear that, but St. Francis Cabrini, she was told that she was too small and frail her entire life. She was told she couldn't serve the church because of how, because of her physical stature. I'm sorry, you're just not good enough. And instead, she became the first naturalized American citizen ever to be sainted by the Vatican. If ever there was a time for a USA chant and awaken, it would be right now. But we won't, we won't do it. Missed opportunity on the fourth. Father Damien was told that he would never amount to much of an academic. He wasn't an academic. He was told that he didn't publish enough. He wasn't actually as well educated uh, as a lot of the priests, notable priests at the time, because... They said, you, you're not smart enough. I'm sorry, you'll nev- he was told, you'll never make much of an impact for God's kingdom. And he's known as, by many as the patron saint of Hawaii. They actually, the people of Hawaii requested that his hands, he was buried back in Belgium, they exhumed the remains of his hands to be buried outside his church in Hawaii. They wanted the hands that helped so many people to be buried in the earth that he dedicated his life to. This man was told he wasn't good enough. And yet he lived from this life of mercy. Now I'll, I'll, uh, I'll invite John Mark and the, and the band up.
Because there's a story for God's mercy that I heard. Um, it's about a, a small town in South America. They, um, there, was, there, was this, uh, there was this priest, and he heard that this woman was having visions of Jesus. She was speaking with him. And he went to go investigate this, because, of course, you can't have a woman speaking to Jesus. And so he went and found her, and he said, Are, are you, is, is what I'm hearing, true? Are you, are you having visions of Jesus? She says, Yes, it's wonderful. I, I speak with him. He speaks to me. And he looks troubled at this, and he says to her, Tell you what, next time you talk to Jesus, ask him what the last sin I confessed at confession was thinking he could, put, he could squash this pretty easily. And she says, fine, fair enough. And so they go their separate ways, and he thinks maybe he put an end to this crazy woman wanting attention. And a little bit later, he heard that she was talking to Jesus again. He goes back to her, and he says, did you remember to ask? And she says, yes, I asked Jesus what the last sin you confessed in confession was. She took his hand, she looked him in the eye, and she said, Jesus' exact words were, I don't remember. She took his hand, she looked him in the eye, Jesus' exact words were, I don't remember. I want to invite you today to consider there will be a time of, time of contemplative silence we've had this the last few weeks. What does it look like to live from a place of mercy for you? For many of us, I think it's mercy extended to ourselves. We worship a God who chooses not to remember. What does it look like to live from a place of that mercy? May you live a life free of the burdens of the things that you do. May you be free of the burden, of the stereotype that you need to do these things on a list to connect to God, that you need to do these things on a list to be loved, but instead awaken. May you rest in the grace of God. May you encounter the Spirit. May you encounter mercy. If we need, if you need prayer, um, prayer will be available just over there and um, on this side. My right, your left. And until then, friends, grace and peace. You can find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.